So uh, a few years ago, our family found this Canada Dry hot, high spot bottle. Uh, we were visiting an island in the Strait of Georgia and down along the beach and we found this bottle floating. It was truly actually a message in a bottle. You can actually, if you can hear it, there's a cork still inside of it because the cork, when we found it, the bottle was half full of water. The cork was in here, but it, there was like this slimy remnants of a letter inside. And then the cork popped in when we had to get the water out. So now there's just a cork in there. Never got to figure out who wrote a letter and what the letter was about. You know, high spot, if any of you remember High Spot, mm, good stuff. I don't remember it because it was bottled from the late 1940s into the early 1960s by Canada Dry. So presumably, this bottle had floated the currents of the Pacific for about 50 years. And I've often wondered about the story that it carried. Was, was the letter from a sailor lost at sea down to their last swig of lemon soda? Uh, was it a few teenagers pranking the ocean, hoping someone would find it? and be marveled by their wit? I don't know. Uh, who and what might it have been? The bottle is a mystery, and it sits in our kitchen as a reminder. If only it had flesh on it. If only someone could make it come alive. I have this bag of letters. Look at this bag of letters. This isn't even the only one. This bag of letters. These are the love letters between my wife Jen and I when we, just from this past year, no, I'm just kidding. This is, I had a lot of time during COVID, so I was writing love letters to my wife. No, I'm just kidding, of course, because now we text grocery lists to each other and the things we don't want the kids to know about. That's how it works now. Uh, the love letters have changed. But truthfully, though, this bag is filled with the letters that Jen kept from the time that we were dating. And we found them again a few weeks ago. Look at that. Just, just warms my heart, what you just said to me there. Babes, thank you. Um, we found them again a few weeks ago. Uh, we're digging through boxes, and they're cool. And they, they, they're kind of humorous at points. Uh, some good lines that I need to pull out again, actually. I'll be working on those. But they're just paper. And better than the letters is the life of this woman who blessed my life and who I have the privilege to be mutually submitting to and partnering with in building a Christ-centered home. The letters, you see, mean more because they have flesh on them now. The letters have come alive. We come to the end of Ephesians. Paul has penned this entire letter, and it's a long one. Like, can you imagine writing a letter this long? He's penned this entire letter from prison. And he had just reminded us at the beginning of chapter 6, and through verses 10 to 20, uh, that we are to put on the full armor of God for the battle that we are in. And now he signs off. Ephesians is a letter from isolation. Quite interesting to think about it that, that way in these days. And it's no email. It will take weeks for the Ephesians to receive it. And who knows what might change by then. Uh, we have snail mail. Uh, they, they had slug mail. <laughs> and Paul wants to keep the letter real. It's his practice in all of his letters because he's not just rolling up a parchment and stuffing it in a bottle and throwing it in the Mediterranean in hopes that it might bob its way to Asia because he couldn't use the Roman post. Actually, it was called the cursus publicus, the public way. 
It was the state-supervised courier system that was only available to those the emperor sanctioned. And so Paul, because of course his letter would never be sanctioned by the emperor, has to put flesh to the letter. And he puts it into someone's hands. A Gentile Christian from the province of Asia, where Ephesus was located, and you can actually discover him for the first time in Acts chapter 20, verse 4, named Tychicus. And Tychicus is this guy who will take this letter and deliver it to the Ephesians. It's in the hands of this faithful servant that the letter comes alive. And so let's listen to the close of the letter, Ephesians chapter 6, 21 to 24. It's going to be up here on the screen. I would even invite somebody in your household to go ahead and read it out loud where you are. I'm going to read it as well in case there's those out there who don't have somebody to read it with or can't see it very well today. So uh, Ephesians chapter 6, 21 to 24. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Now, the Apostle Paul was one of the great servants of Christian history. He wrote 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament. But Paul always had a team. He always saw the work of God as the work of the church, the ecclesia, the people of God who are called out to take responsibility for their time and place. And the church was a communion of opposites, a people brought to peace by Jesus and centered in Jesus. And Paul's letters themselves, the very words on a paper, are a reminder of this new story of the new humanity that God was writing. Paul the Jew now entrusts this precious letter to a Gentile. The letter writer and the letter carrier are themselves the mystery of the gospel come alive. And on the 2,000-kilometer journey from Rome to Asia, which was a, it's about the equivalent of going from Kelowna to Winnipeg, Tychicus was also carrying letters of, for the Colossian Christians, which in our New Testament is the book of Colossians. And he's also carrying a letter for a slave owner named Philemon, which means that his courier companion, Tychicus's courier companion, as he carries Ephesians, and Colossians, and the letter to Philemon is a slave named Onesimus. You can read about this in Colossians chapter 4, verses 7 to 9. There was more to tell than could be written. And so these teammates carried the amazing truths of this letter and those other letters to ground Jews and Gentiles who are now following Jesus as Lord in their identity in Christ and their identity as the church for their moment in history. Tychicus would let the Ephesians know how Paul was doing. His task in verse 22 is encouragement. Now the word to encourage is parakaleo. It's the root word for what Jesus called the Holy Spirit in John chapter 14, the paraclete. That was the Greek word for the counselor, the Holy Spirit. 
in John chapter 14. And it means to come to call from being up close and personal, alongside and personal. It's like when you're in the dark or you're lost in confusion and someone comes along and whispers, hey, hey it's, it's okay, I'm, I'm right here, it's okay. It's what a parent does when their kid wakes up in the night screaming because of a dream. Hey, 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 it's okay, it's okay. I'm, I'm right here, right here. This is the work of encouragement to come alongside, to whisper and assure, I'm right here. Encouragement, you see, needs flesh. The letter needs to come alive. There are people in your life these days who are dying for this. Have you given it? Or is the anxiety and the pent-up frustrations and the the stuff you're carrying, is that dominating? Who's the Holy Spirit prompting you to come alongside? Go, hey, I'm, I'm here. I'm here. And Paul, before he blows the ink dry and puts it in Tychicus's hand, gives a final blessing. And he pulls three key themes from the letter all together. Peace, love, and faith. And this peace, love, and faith, he says, is from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. This peace, love, and faith is for the family of God. It's interesting because Paul is speaking for God into the lives of this new family of believers. Brothers and sisters, Jews and Gentiles, slave and free, those risking persecution in the city of change as they name Jesus as Lord and learn what imitating God by the power of the Spirit looks like. And this letter began with praise to God. If you go all the way back to chapter 1, verse 3, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's out of the gate, this celebration of God's spiritual blessings that he has bestowed on his children, regardless of their ethnicity or their social standing. Praise be to God. The life of the Christian starts in praise. And our interactions should end in blessing. When we bless, when we speak for God into somebody else's life, the letters come alive. And we speak for God to bring hope and assurance. Hey, we're right here. We live in times where not much blessing seems to be happening, is there? Lots of cursing and fear, anger. Lots of pain is erupting. Lots of self-justification and excuses. Lots of points being made in 140 characters or less. But not much encouragement. Not much blessing. But we are the saints we are the saints, the undeserving family of God. We have our warts, we have our maturing to do, but we have been put by our Heavenly Father alongside one another to encourage one another with peace, love, and faith that are ours in Jesus Christ, the Lord who is greater than Caesar. And there are people in your life these days who are dying for encouragement. Have you given it? And there is 
in, these la in the last 13 words of the letter, the wonder of grace. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. The unearned favor of God and love dominate the end of the story. God's grace and love, you see, acted to save us, didn't they? God's grace and love acted to save us and secure our position as heirs with Jesus. God is full of grace and love in Ephesians. And so finally, we who are awakened by the Spirit, by this grace and love, are summarized with this wonderfully simple description. I wonder if you caught it. This wonderfully simple description, all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Literally, it means non-perishable love. <laughs> Agape love that prefers Jesus above all others and above all else, that prefers what God desires in and for the world. Incorruptible love, some translations have it. Love like a rock, love that can't decay. Love that flows from that position of grace that grace has brought about and put us into as saints, the adopted, the spirit-filled heirs of God. And at the end of the day, you see Christians, the church, the ecclesia, are those who love Jesus. Does it sound too simple? We are those who love Jesus first. By the way, this will be the challenge that another writer of the New Testament, another disciple of Jesus, John, will challenge the Ephesians to in Revelation chapter 2, verse 4, when he has to correct them. The, the, the message to them is, you've lost your first love. Hmm. To be part of God's family let me make this very clear. To be part of God's family is not to be committed to a cause because causes come and go. It is not to be committed to community because that's hard work and we'll easily jump ship. <laughs> to be Christian is to love Jesus Christ. Every just and holy cause and every true and persevering community is sourced in this non-perishable love. Love for Jesus. Love for Jesus is the missing component, component in so much activity and angst today, even the most well-meaning. It's like trying to bake without flour. It's like trying to make iced tea without water. Love for God Love for God is the center of Christianity. After all, didn't Jesus say that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then to love your neighbor as yourself. Loving your neighbor without loving God will always unravel into tokenism and activism and self-righteousness. At the center of the ecclesia is love for Jesus Christ. Only undying love for God turns Philemon and Onesimus into brothers of an upside-down social revolution. 
Only love for Jesus transforms Rome-centered homes into Christ-centered catalysts of a new way. This was the question. This was the very question that Jesus asked the disciple Peter after the resurrection. Peter was committed to a messianic political uprising, and, it's, and he spectacularly failed and fell off the bandwagon. He was the perfect candidate to be canceled out and dropped from the team. But Jesus looked at him redemptively at this question, Peter, do you love me? Wow. Peter, do you love me? And from that day on, love for Jesus led Peter. He who believed his famous failures had canceled him out. Love for Jesus drives the letter of the Christian life forward. Love for Jesus led Paul on from the shame of being a persecutor of Christians to willingly suffer persecution for Jesus' sake. Love for Jesus is the defining mark of the ecclesia. Not love for cause or denomination or church brand. Love for Jesus. You getting sick of me saying that yet? Nah. Love for Jesus turns the letters on a page to living letters of flesh and blood. We are the Ecclesia, the children of God saved by grace and love. We are known as those who love the Lord Jesus Christ. Gunter Krallman has it absolutely correct. It's a wonderful book called Mentoring for Mission. It's really a book about discipleship. He says this, There'll be a quote on the screen here, but I'm going to read just a little bit more of that. He says, There is a need to be mindful that our engagement for the fulfillment of God's worldwide purposes is always a product of and not a substitute for our love for Christ. And then this, Jesus must first become the focus of our affection before he can become the focus of our commitment. The call of the ecclesia from the beginning to the end, is to be known as those who know the love of God in Jesus Christ, embody the love of God in Jesus Christ for the challenges of their moment in history. And this is our moment, friends. You weren't put on earth at any other time in history. So you can grumble and complain. You can point fingers. You can doom scroll. You can jump on your political bandwagon. But you are called to redemption in Jesus' name and to love him and from there be part of his purposes in the world. Which is the higher calling, I wonder? Because foundationally, we are to be known as those who love our Lord Jesus Christ. Do we love Jesus? Well, the answer to that question will be, term be determined by whether the letter comes to life. Does the letter have flesh on it? Or is it an empty bottle? Or another bag of papers? We welcome our friend this morning, my brother, Jeff Michaud, is in the living room or the dining room. <laughs> welcome, Jeff. Make sure that's on. How's it going? Doing great. Thanks, Phil. Good. It's really good to have you join us this morning. I'm excited because we sent you on a mission to bring some encouragement to the right. church today. You have some stories you're going to share in just a minute or two, but I want to ask you a question first. Sure. Uh, we've chatted a bunch over the last number of weeks. 
How have you been encouraged to love Jesus more deeply and be the church in these COVID days? What has God been speaking to you about and teaching you? I can remember that Thursday when it seemed like everything was getting flipped upside down. Uh-huh. And uh, we had a plan on Sunday to actually take off and go on a holiday. And, and everything um, got halted. And our, our world basically got flipped upside down. And for me personally, um, sometimes I dream really big. And I, I, I love Jesus so much. I'm like, I want to I go and I want to just do big things. But God put the brakes on that. And I felt like God asked me, he says, Jeff, can you be a good dad? Can you, can you be a good husband? Can you lead your family as best you can? Can you make sure that I'm still the center of it through this? And um, sometimes wow. I'm like, wow, that feels really small. And uh, sometimes I feel like it's not enough. But what I learned, Phil, through, through going to all these different people and hearing their stories, it was quite similar. Wow. A lot of people felt the same call to do the little things and just, and just love their family and, and love their friends from a distance. Um, but it was really cool speaking to so many people from our church and feeling that common bond to, to just do the little things really well. Wow, that's cool. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've been trying to tell, you know, over the last number of months, lots of different stories right. in our newsletter, like, because God's doing amazing things right. through the people of KGF. Mm-hmm. Um, and we sent you to find a bunch of them. Right. And you can only tell so many. You right. landed on three right. that we're going to be able to watch the videos of shortly right. here. Um, but do you just want to set those up a sure. little bit before people get a yeah. chance to hear from these people? Yeah. First of all, I want to say thanks to everybody who took my phone calls and shared their stories. And it was really cool just talking to so many of you, even if we can't use your story. Um, but we landed on three of them. I want to introduce Levi, Grace, and Al. And all their stories are really cool about how God asked them to be the church over the last two months, and it's an extremely different world we're living in right now, but their stories were a real encouragement to me, and I hope they are to you too. And you know one thing that, uh, even if it's a little thing, I have to tell you the story, just walking across the crosswalk, I go for walks all the time. And when I walk across the crosswalk, I like to turn and wave and say thank you. And I had this one lady the one day, as she drove by, she slows down. She rolls down her window and says, you're welcome. And I thought, you know, what a difference. Just a little thing. And uh, it seemed like it made a difference in her life. I like to do that with people. You know, talk to people. And if they want to talk, listen. But we're here to be salt. We're here to share Jesus. And if we can't uh, bring kind words, who will? So I like to speak kind words to people. That's my job. And I work at a golf course for 15 years. And that's what I try to do there too. Just not that I shared Jesus, but they know where I stand. They know that I love Jesus. And I've made so many friends there and uh, we've got to let our light shine. And that's what I enjoy doing. Um, so that's a really good question. How have I been the church in these past few months? And I think being the church um, is not only, it's not an individual thing, it's a community thing. And so um, I think I've been able to do that in different ways and the way that Christ has called me to live my life, uh, whether that is um, 
building friendships with wonderful people that are believers or non-believers. Uh, one example I think that I've seen or reflected in my own life, um, I know lots of wonderful people, lots of amazing people, and one friend uh, who I wasn't sure was a believer or not, um, she was going through a good time and then a tough time, and I was able to build a friendship with this person at the beginning, um, and then during her hard moments, she reached out to me, and I felt that God was able to reflect his love off of me to her, and it was so beautiful to see um, how God's been growing in her, like growing her faith in her heart, and she's wanting to know him more and more in the past few months, and so just being a part of that journey has been so beautiful and to accompany her in that. Um, another example, um, I guess it's a small way of doing it, but I really believe that being part of the church is a community and intergenerational thing. And so um, I have women pouring into my life who are older and then also peers that, that encourage me, um, as well as um, younger girls that I'm looking to pour into. And so there's one family of, that I know that has three little girls and the past couple months, um, in the best ways possible, I've offered to um, babysit or like, oh, do you want me to run to the store for you or those types of things. And I think those simple acts is just a great example of what it looks like to reach out, to love, to be sacrificing yourself. Um, and yeah, so I've just, my goal is to love people. That's what Christ has called us to do. And so if I can do that in big or small ways, that means just sitting and listening um, or giving a hug, even if you're not supposed to, um, <laughs> or, um, or offering to help in any capacity. That's how I feel Christ leading me to be the church. Be in the church. What is it? You know, I'm a follower of Jesus. And uh, I was thinking the other day when Jesus died on the cross, he died for all people. And then he said, as I have loved you, love everyone else. Mm. So we take that to heart. And uh, I know I've spent 16 years down at a golf course at Shadow Ridge. I've got to know a lot of people and a lot of non-believers, and especially the breakfast club. These are men uh, in the breakfast club. And we we're sitting there on an Easter Sunday of all times, watching the closing shots of the PGA Tour. And I knew what was going to happen because a Christian fellow won, Zach Johnson. And we're sitting there, and he had to give glory to Jesus. And I could hear the rumblings among the guys sitting there. There's about 30 of them. And one guy looks over, he's, oh, I can't stand you. I said, well, what's the matter with him? Well, he's religious. I says, you know, you know that I believe the same way he does. Oh, I know, but I like you. And, you know, Diane and I pray. That's my wife. We pray every morning, and the last thing we say is, God, help us to honor you today. And that's what we try to do. Hey, church, uh, thank you so much. Uh, great stories. And Jeff, you wanted to say a little bit more as well, right? Yeah, it was interesting. We um, we didn't have Levi's story. So Levi, I'm sorry about that, but I guess we, we lost it. The interesting part about Al's story was we filmed it once and, um, and then we ended up doing it again because we thought uh, that first one we couldn't find. So, Al, I just want to say thanks for doing it twice. And KGF, you got to hear from him twice. And what an awesome um, experience it was working with him. And, and Phil, I just want to say also, just uh, I want to say thanks to everybody that um, did these stories and, and sat down with me and spent time with me. And 
I, I really love our church community. And when I get to interact with you guys and serve alongside of you, it just affirms why this is such a great place for me to, to plant roots and to raise my family. And so, church, I'm really thankful for everybody here. And Jeff, I wonder, I wonder if you could maybe just summarize Levi Erickson's a little bit too, because yeah. this, this young man, it's really yeah. kind of cool what he was sharing. Yeah, so Levi is an amazing young man. He's, um, he is a friend to me. I've had the chance to coach him a number of times in, in sports. And Levi has taken on a role at his home where mom and dad are incredible people. I love Jason and Rachel, and they work full-time, both of them. So Levi felt God calling him to, to really support his family, to, to really support his brother, and to love his brother, and to really help out around the home. And Levi's doing a ton of things around the house. He's working with his dad now and helping prepare meals. And, and Levi, I just have so much uh, respect for you. And uh, I really enjoy being a part of your journey as you're growing up. And it was great to see you get baptized this year, Levi. Yeah, it's so good. So church, really, seriously, be deeply encouraged because we're the family of God. We're God's household. We are those who have either for a short time or a long time or maybe for the first time today even, maybe he said, we love you, Lord Jesus, and you're living the letter. You're being the letter. We're proud of you, and we pray God's blessing on you.